So if you have your Bibles with you, turn your Bibles or your Bible apps to John 9. And uh, I'm going to read, we're going to actually cover this whole chapter today, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it just takes too long and there's a lot of stuff in here that's, you know, it's just, I can just, I can paraphrase later on. But um, I'll read you the meat of this chapter is verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read it to you guys. Um, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Um, and so, you know, this this chapter and this, this passage and this miracle really kind of opens up the question um, that, we, that many people ask. A lot of Christians ask this, and a lot of non-Christians and, and atheists will ask this question. And it's basically, why do bad things happen? Who's asked that question in your life? Right? I think we've all kind of asked that question, why do bad things happen? From the, an atheist point of view, they'll ask, like, if God is good and all-powerful, why does he allow pain and suffering in the world? Why does he allow evil to exist in the, in the world? And this is one of the biggest roadblocks when it comes to people coming to know God and believing in God is dealing with the problem of evil. And there's a Greek philosopher named Epicurus, Epicurus, and he said, if God is willing to prevent evil but is not able to, he is not all-powerful. And if God is able to do it but is not willing, he is not all-loving. How can an all-powerful and all-loving God allow evil to exist? So, this is kind of the question that, you know, a lot of people out there ask. And it's one of those, those pondering thoughts that, you know, we all kind of go through at one point in our life. The Christian also might ask for themselves, why does God allow suffering in my life? Why does God allow suffering uh, and pain and evil things to happen to good God-fearing people? Good God-fearing believers. Why do I struggle? And, and it will lead us to question God and question his goodness and question his love for us. Now, we can answer this question from a broad, like, general sense. Why does evil exist? It's because of sin. Adam and Eve, they sinned. Sin entered the world. And ultimately, why we have sickness, why we have pain, you know, why we have evil and, and you know, bad things of, of this world that happen every day uh, is because of sin. Now, that's a simplistic way of going, like, answering this question, but it's actually more nuanced than this. Because for the believer, the people that follow God, we have to understand that, you know, that 
the sun shines on the righteous as well as the sin, as well as the wicked, right? There are like amazing men and women of God that are like way, way better than any of us that suffer greatly, right? People that are just like amazing people of God that have suffered greatly. And there's plenty of like wicked and evil and greedy people that prosper every day. How can we reconcile this? Why is there suffering and pain in this world? If he is all-powerful and all-loving, how can this be? And well, Jesus, he reconciles this and he teaches us a very powerful lesson in John 9. But in order to really get what he's talking about here, we have to go a few verses back to the end of John 8. And, and it's the way that he declares himself to the world. So, so far he said, I'm the bread of life. Right? You know, if you, if you, if you, after he feeds 5,000 people, he says, I am the bread of life. Um, he says, if you, you know, you won't go hungry again. He says, I am the living water. You know, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. Come drink of me. And then he says, I am the light of the world. If you don't have me in you, you're living in and you're walking in darkness. But then at the end of John 8, Jesus says something that is so incredibly bold and like audacious that the religious leaders bend down and they pick up rocks to stone him and kill him. The Bible says that he escaped because it wasn't his time. Now, what is this thing that he said to get the people so angry? Well, they accuse Jesus, well, you have a demon in you. And Jesus is like, oh, no, I don't. Right? And he says, uh, if you keep my word, you'll never see death. And they're like, are you saying that, that, that you're greater than Abraham, our father, right, who, who actually died? Are you saying that you're greater than him? And then Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this would have rocked these religious leaders to the core. Have you ever been offended by something or someone so much that you gasp? Like you, you said something and you're like, <gasps> right? I guarantee you when Jesus said this, the religious leaders, they gasped. I think some of you guys may have been offended by me. And you're just like inside. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. Well, these Jews would have, upon hearing this, because Jesus is basically saying that he is God. In Exodus, God calls Moses to go and get his people free. And Moses, he's trying to talk him out of it. He's like, you know what, God? Like, I can't talk well. You know, I have this speech problem. You know, like, I'm not, you know, nobody's going to believe me. Nobody's going to understand me. Nobody's going to want to listen to me. And then G and Moses asks him, like, hey, who, if I go, who do I say has sent me? And then Jesus says, I, I mean, God says, I am who I am. Go tell the people of Israel that I am has sent you to them. And basically when Jesus declares these words, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's declaring himself as being God himself. And these religious leaders, they snap. It's just like, <gasps> and they literally, the first thing they do is they just bend down, they pick up rocks. And it was like, dude, we got to kill this guy, man. How dare he say this? And they're just, it's just, they're, they kind of, they kind of lose it. And then, but then Jesus, he slips out. They say that he, you know, he, he's very like, Jesus is very like sneaky sometimes, or he's very guile, right? He's, he's, all of a sudden, he's in the crowd, and all of a sudden, he with, withdraws, and he's gone. He peeks out, you know, and gone. And after this confrontation, he's walking with his disciples, and they walk past a man who is blind 
since birth. The Bible says that he saw him. Jesus noticed him. The blind man didn't notice Jesus. Why? Because he's blind. And I, and I point this out because what happens here is what happens to us spiritually. We didn't seek out Jesus. You know that none of us react, none of us said, oh, Jesus, I'm going to follow him. The Bible says that no one seeks after God. No one. The only reason that we know God and even are able to respond to him is because he notices us. He loved us. He calls us out of darkness and into his light. He sought us out. The God of the universe who was there at creation before Abraham was, before Moses was, before David was, the great I am, he, he's walking by and he notices this blind man. And then the disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They're like, they want to like, you know, they're like, they want to try to like sound like as if they're like in, intelligent and asking, you know, thoughtful questions. So they ask their teacher, who, who sinned? Right? Somebody had to have sinned. You see, Jesus, Jewish theology back then, there was this direct correlation between what happened to you and, and, and the things that you've done. And so if you're a farmer and you have a bad crop that one year, they're going to come up to you and they're going to be like, what'd you do? What, what'd you do? If you're a couple and you have a, you have a baby and they're born with a deformity, they're going to come up to you and like, hey, what sin did you commit for this to happen? It sounds a lot like Job. Remember Job? In the book of Job, all these horrible things are happening to Job. And his friend comes and it's like, hey, what did you do? What did you do? What could you have done? Repent to God, right? Because they believe that this, there was this, like, you know, like, direct correlation, direct, you know, uh, give and take between um, the things that we do and, and, and the things that happen to us. Now, I'm not talking about consequence for sins. There is consequence for sin. Right? If, if, if I'm an alcoholic... Right, eventually, my liver is going to get all jacked up, right? I don't know where my liver is. <laughs> liver? I think it's right here. I don't know. Right, my liver, wherever it is, is going to get all jacked up, right? If I cheat on my wife, right, there's a, potent, there's a possibility that my, er- my marriage is going to end, right? This, these are like direct correlation to sin and bad behavior, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But they believe that this, there was this, like, this direct correlation between like, the things that you do and then the bad things that happen in your life as if it was God was sitting up in heaven dishing out punishment and dishing out like, bad things for all of the bad things that we do and the sins that we commit. And we know that this is, this, this, this is wrong. This, this is not the way that it is. Like, there's horrible things that happen to good, God-fearing like, people that, like, you know, that want to live a righteous life. And then there's so many evil, wicked, like horrible people out there that are like prospering, that are living, living it up. And so we know that this isn't true, but this is something that they believe in. So they ask like, hey, who sinned? His parents or him? And there was also this Jewish theology and thinking back then, and they had this understanding of prenatal sin. They taught that you can actually sin in the womb. That, that you can be a baby inside the, the stomach of the mom and you could do something so bad inside of the, the, the belly of the mom as a baby. You could do something that's so bad that actually you, you're born and you, you're born with some kind of deformity or some kind of thing that's wrong with you uh, in, in, your, in your life. And we know that this is not true, right? But this was actually something that they believed back then. They don't believe this now, but this was like a thought, this was a teaching and, and a part of the theology of the Jewish people back then during Jesus' time. 
And so the disciples asked, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. We always want to blame something or someone for the bad things that happen in our lives, right? Or, or the people that, that are around us. We'd be like, oh, you know, I'm, the, way I, the reason why I'm like this is because of my parents. We blame our parents, right? The first thing. It's because of my dad. You know, like my dad was a turd, right? You know, Mina is like, oh, you know, and Mina had a really, you know, I love Mina's mom, but like, you know, her childhood wasn't great. She turned out great, right? But, but there's some people that, that, you know, they have problems in their lives and they'll blame their parents. They'll, 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 you know, they look at somebody that's down on their luck and, and they're like, oh, it's because they're lazy. It's because they did something in their life at one point to bring this upon themselves. In India, there's a whole caste system where people in one caste look down on the other people below them based on the idea that they did something bad in their previous lives. Right? We all want to... You want to blame something or someone or some, you know, to, to make sense of the bad things that happen in our lives. But Jesus, when he's asked these questions, he answers it this way. It was not that this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while I, well, it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He answers their questions, but not directly. Like, was it him? Was it his parents? He's like, no, it's neither. So that the works of God may be displayed. It's so that God and the power of God might be seen. And Jesus is basically telling them that it's all about purpose. It's purpose. Sometimes we think God is up in heaven responding. Like he's responding to our prayers. He's like, oh, you know, like Mike wants this, and, and Amanda wants this, and AJ wants this, and you know. Or he's, he's responding to our sins, like, oh, Josh did this, or, you know, like, Ted did this, and, and, and Meredith did this, and Caleb did this. We think that he's responding to the things that are happening upon the earth. But what's actually, what Jesus is pointing out is, is that he's laying down his purpose. It's about him planning a purpose, a plan that he's purpose for each and every one of us. Even before we were, you know, in our mother's room, Jesus... It's God was purposing things in our lives. To, to Jesus, we're asking the wrong questions. It's all about what God will do with the disabilities, with the limitations, and with the shortcomings in our lives. Jesus is saying to his disciple that God is at work in a way that you can't see. All you see is you see the def- deformity or you see his blindness. And you think, parents, he did something wrong, but they weren't even asking the right questions. The questions were off. He's like, what's happening here is something that you guys have no idea about. He's always doing more than we can think or imagine. And there may be times in your life where you feel like you've been passed on by God. You feel like, you know, you've been left behind. You feel like, like you might... You know, things just feel like broken in your life. And you've been given this limitation, this disability, this shortcoming, you know, whatever trials and tribulations and whatever things that be happening, the struggles in your life, the difficulties in your life, and you're asking why. Why, God? But what Jesus is saying is that you may have been given these things, these limitations, these shortcomings, these disabilities, the struggles, so that God might work through them in your life. 
so that his works may be displayed. We're asking the question, why do these things happen? Why does evil happen? Why does bad things happen? When we need to be asking, what will you do through these things? What will you do through these struggles? What will you do through this disability? What will you do through this limitation? We're asking the wrong questions. What is your purpose here? Because God doesn't respond. He purposes. Nothing is wasted with God. There is a purpose to your struggles, to your limitations, to whatever you may be facing. God's not, been, he's not sitting up in heaven trying to smite you for all of the little sins that you're doing in your life. But he will allow things in our lives. He will allow certain things to happen in our lives. Just like Job. Remember Job? Satan goes up to God and he's like, hey, what about your servant Job? And ultimately, God allows these things to happen. But it wasn't because God wanted to smite Job or he wanted to mess with his head. He had a purpose. His works, his power to be displayed. And Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming and when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's saying, while I'm here, I'm going to do the works of the one who sent me. It's Father God, right? Jesus is God. He is the great I am. And what he does is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And he references day and night as in life and death. Day and night is basically life and death. And Jesus is saying, while we are alive in this world, as long as we are alive in this world, God can purpose his will in our lives for his glory. He's saying, it's not the question of why are these things happening? It's not the question of who sinned, him or his parents. The question is, what can God through this do through this situation? And then Jesus takes these words. It says that he, 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 said he takes these words and he puts them into action. Right? He puts them into Imagine you're a blind man. You ima- imagine that you are this blind man. I want you guys to close your eyes. All of you guys, close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. Close your eyes. And you're blind. You can't see. And this guy that you don't know is standing in front of you. And then all of a sudden you hear this. And and at first you don't you don't make much of it. You're blind, you know, begging for a living. You've probably been sit on spit on many times in your life. This is just your lot in life. And then he does it again. You guys can open your eyes. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to do a, like a really nice juicy one, but I think you guys would have gotten offended. And then, and then Jesus, the God of the universe, the great I am, goes down into the dirt and he starts to make mud with his hands. And after he makes the mud, he goes up to the blind man. And the Bible says he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And do you know why Jesus did this? I'm asking you because I don't know. (laughs) Nobody really knows why Jesus did this. There's questions that I want to ask Jesus 
When I see him face to face, when he comes back and we're sitting in heaven, and I go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, what's up with the mud and the spit? Like, why'd you do that? And then we don't know. There are some guesses out there as to why Jesus did this. Did this. The best one I heard was that Jesus was doing a creative miracle. Basically, what he was doing at creation. What did God do when he formed man? He, he formed him from the what? The dust of the earth, right? So we, we're basically dirt dogs, right? We're just made of dirt, right? So this is Jesus going to the dirt, making mud with the only thing that was available for him, which was a spit. And then he anoints this man's eyes, and Jesus is basically creating new eyes for this man. But that's just a guess, right? Nobody knows. We don't know why Jesus... There's a lot of things that Jesus did in his ministry. We're like, why, Jesus? Nobody knows. But we do know three things about this healing, right? And the particularities of this healing that I want to pull out today. Number one is that this healing was, was personal. He touched the man's eyes. He could have just snapped his finger. can't really snap my fingers. He could have just snapped his finger and he'd be like, bam, new eyes, right? could have done that. But he takes the time to anoint this man with his hands and, and touch him. And we have to know that whatever Jesus wants to do in our lives is going to be personal. This man allowed Jesus to touch his eyes, the one part of his body that he probably felt most vulnerable. It's the one part of his body that doesn't work right. It's not doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's the one part of his body that's brought him so much pain and grief into his life. And Jesus stands before him. The man lets Jesus touch his eyes. And if we want Jesus to do his work in our lives, we have to be vulnerable with him. We have to let him in. And we find ourselves in that personal, that visceral connection with him. There are times when we have pain and we struggle and we have hardship, you know, and sometimes we just feel broken, right? And instead of going to God and saying, God, this is me, this is my pain, right? I want to let you in. We distance ourselves from him. Jesus tries to touch us and we flinch. And we harden our hearts. And instead of letting God into the struggle, we try to bear, bear through it ourselves in our own understanding. But in order for Jesus to work, there needs to be vulnerability. There needs to be a humbling of our hearts where we say, Jesus, I need you. I can't fix this on my own. And we allow Jesus into the pain, into the struggle, into the limitation. We allow him to touch us. And the second thing that I want to pull from this this healing is that it was messy. He takes spit and he goes into the ground. He makes mud, right? And, and you know, and, and makes it into this goopy mess. And he puts it on the eyes of this man. This was messy. But do you know that sometimes God needs to make a mess of your life for him to, for him to come and clean it up? Sometimes there needs to be a mess for a miracle. Something happens and we're like, why God? This is the last thing that I need right now in my life. Who said that to God before? I've been like, God, oh, this is the last thing that I need right now. Please, God, what what are you thinking, right? But did you ever think that God might be allowing a mess to happen in your life so that you can experience a breakthrough in your life? 
There's a Proverbs in the Bible, and it's pretty weird. Proverbs 14.4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Ox, Oxen make a mess. Have you ever seen oxen poop? Huge, right? They smell, they make a mess, right? But sometimes you need the mess for there to be increase in your life. And this brings us back to the subject of purpose. When these things happen, when things get messy, when things break down, and when struggles come, when difficulties come, instead of trying to figure out why is this happening, maybe we need to look to God and say, what are you doing here? What, what, what is the, what's your purpose here? What are you going to bring out of me? What are you going to bring into me? He's rubbing this, this, this spit caked mud into his eyes. What is he doing? What is he going to do? What purpose does he have in store for me? And we hope in faith. Because we know that God is good and his purposes are good. Our God does not work in ways that we expect because he's God. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways. Right? So many times we go to God with a detailed plan of how he can make things right. right? We do this. We make a detailed plan. God this is my detailed plan. I need this, and I want that. And this has to go this way, and that has to go that way. And all of this needs to happen this way. And when that happens, God of the universe that created everything, I will be content. Everything is going to be fine and dandy as long as you make things like this. And we present to him this, this blueprint, this plan. But here's the thing. God doesn't want to change your circumstances so that you can be content. He wants to change you so that you can be content in any circumstance. So that we stop asking him questions like, why does bad things happen? But we go to him and say, God, how will you bring me joy despite this thing happening in my life? What is your purpose in this mess? Now, about a year ago, I was depressed. I told this story before, right? You guys didn't know I was depressed, but I was really depressed. I was depressed, and I, I felt like I was just like, you know, things at church was like, you know, like, what's going on? We'd all just gotten over this whole, like, crazy thing. The two years of just, you know, just our church kind of being flipped, turned upside down. Man, I, I was going through a hard time. I would, there would be nights where I just felt so far from God, and there would be nights where I'd be just in bed, mean as a sleeper, I'm just saying, God, what is going on? And I would go to God with detailed plans of how I needed him to fix my life. I would be like, God, I need, th- I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to make the church like this. And I need you to do so that, you know, like. And I would go to him and I would, I would, I would give him these plans and no- nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. And I got to the point where I cried out to God. And I was like, God, I need you. And when I dropped all of the ideas that I had on how God could make things right for me, all I was left with was God. And then in that moment, he started to speak to me. I remember he started to really clearly speak to me. When, when I said, God, it's like, I got to this point where I was like, God, it's like, I, 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 there's nothing. I have not, 
I don't know. Like, like I just felt like all that was left was just me and God. And he started speaking to me. He's like, go to school. Go to seminary. And I was like, how? How am I going to how am I gonna do that, right? And then what he did is he opened the door for me in a way that only he can do. He opened the way for me to do. It was, just, it was basically a miracle in my life. That mess that you're experiencing in your life might just be there so that God can birth his purpose into your life. Because Romans 8, 28, and we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to what? His purpose. So, and the third thing that we see from this healing is he gives the blind man his part to do in his healing. Tells him to go wash in the pool called Siloam, which means sent. He sends him to wash his eyes. And this is where obedience comes in. We go to God and we tell him, fix it. <laughs> and God, fix it. And then sometimes he does. Sometimes he just fixes it right away, right? And, and the, when the reason why he does this is just, it's his prerogative, right? But most of the times, if we want true breakthrough in our lives, it's going to require obedience. Following through with his commands. We go to God and we let him in. We get vulnerable find ourselves in this mess, in the muck of it all, and we know God wants to do something in us, and sometimes we just leave it there. We expect God to just make it happen. We just expect God to snap his fingers, and things will get better. But God doesn't want to get you out of the mess for you to be the same person while you were in the mess. Let me say that again. God doesn't want you, want to get you out of the mess that you could be the same person while you were in the mess. For you to learn and for you to understand and for you to grow spiritually through this process is for you to step out in faith, step out in obedience. You know, obedience changes you. You know that? Obedience changes you. You know how I know? The, like, Ezra has not learned obedience, right? Really doesn't. He really doesn't. These days, he's at the peak of his, like, I don't know, like his, like, I don't want to say wickedness, but he's just, he just, just doesn't listen, and he just, like, does not, like, like listen to a thing that was so, like, disobedient at times, right? But Ethan, right, he's been obeying for a longer period, almost three years more than Ezra has, and he understands, and he knows, and he's learned, and he's grown from obedience, so when I tell him something, there's times where he doesn't do it, but then when I look at him, and there's times where he'll like he'll do it right away, and and you can tell that like he's learned and he's grown from taking steps of obedience. God wants to change us. He doesn't want to just snap his fingers so that we get out of the mess that we're in, but he wants us to step out in obedience so that as we do, we change from the inside. Through this process, this process of faith and obedience, it's in our steps of obedience, we're going to find the breakthrough for our lives. Imagine you're this blind man, right? You got spitty mud all over your eyes. And this man that you don't know, you know, he puts his mud on your eyes and tells you to go and wash in the pool. And then you go down to the pool, it takes you a while, and then you bend down, and you start washing your eyes, and 
He got it all up in there in the cracks, and it's all inside. It's irritating your eyes, so it takes you a while. And you go and you get the water, and you start washing your eyes out, and you get all of the little the specks of dirt and thing from your eyes, and you're, you, you wash over and over again, and finally you get all of the dirt out, and all of a sudden you open your eyes, and you can see the reflection of your face for the first time in your life. You see your hands for the first time in your life. Uh, you felt you felt what it feels like, but you've never seen your hands. You see your hands for the you see the people around you, you see the sky, you see the water for the first time. And all of this was dependent on him taking the steps of faith to go and wash inside the wash in the pool. The pool called sent. Jesus sends him. What would have happened if halfway there he bumped into a friend? gave him a rag to wipe the dirt off his eyes? What if instead of going down to the pool, he went to a nearby well and he washed his eyes out? God wants to take you from the mess, from the struggles, from the pain, and he wants to break through into your life. Psalm 40, verse 2, He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. That's mud. Miry bog is like muddy ground. And set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. This is what God intends to do, but it requires our obedience. It requires us to listen to his word in the word of God, in prayer, seeking after him, seeking after his voice. When we hear him, it requires us to obey, step out in faith and follow him. The rest of this chapter is what happens to this, you know, he's once blind man, and this process that he goes on into knowing Jesus. Now first his neighbors come, and the neighbors know him as this man that was begging in the street, and all of a sudden, he's, he's like, he's walking around, he can see, and they're like, wow, what happened? Is it really you? And they're like, no, that's not him. He looks like him, but it's not him, right? And they're like, they're just trying to figure it out, and then the guy's like, that's me. I was me. That was, I was the blind man. Right? And he's like, how did you get your sight back? And he says, a man named Jesus rubbed mud in my eye and told me to go and wash, and I got my sight. And so they bring them to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, like, are, you know, he, they're, he, they're angry because Jesus did it on the Sabbath again, right? Jesus, he, it's not a coincidence that he did it on the Sabbath. Like, he, 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 he could really like, you know, like, Pissing off the Pharisees and these these people to really show their 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 hypocrisy and just the, the bad way that of their thought processes and stuff, you know, because Jesus, they're 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 focusing on this Sabbath day of rest and they're being so legalistic about it when the actual Son of God, who is the rest for eternity and peace for eternity, standing before them and all they can think about is you know like he did it on the Sabbath, right? And so he, they take him to the, the Pharisees, and, and, and they're like, who did this to you? How did this happen? And I was like, well, tell them the story. This man named Jesus, and he came. And, you know, and, then, the, and then they ask him, who do you think this man is? And, they, and, the, and the blind man answers, he is a prophet. But the Pharisees just don't believe this man, and so they go, and they get his parents involved. And these parents, not the best parents, right? They have a blind son, have him going, you know, begging on the street. And they say, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And, and they, out of fear of the Jews, because they had agreed that anyone 
who says Jesus is the Christ would be put out of the synagogue and they say, yes, this is our son who was born blind and now he sees. We don't know how he got his sight back or who did it. You can go ask him. He's of age. Basically throw him under the bus, right? Like, go ask him, right? And we don't want to, we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue, right? This is important to them back then. This is like a theological, like it, it's a theocratic like society that they're living in. When you get kicked out of the synagogue, you lose all your friends, your family. Right? It's like being like a Muslim that becomes a Christian, right? You get ostracized, right? And so they bring the blind man back again, and the blind man actually says one of the most profound and astute observations, right? They're like, you know, like, are you, you're his disciple, and he's like, like, you don't know where he came from, right? We know where we come from, and this is what he says. Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opens my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does his will. God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then they answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you have teach us? And they cast him out. They basically they resort to name calling. He's like, you're a sinner, right? Like, you suck. And they kick him out. They kick him out of the synagogue. This isn't just kicking him out once. This is like a complete, os- like, like, you know, cutting off from the synagogue. And you can just see the pride and the arrogance and the anger of their hardened hearts. Jesus does something that only God can do. And what the blind man said was true. Nowhere in the Old Testament, you can read the Old Testament, every, every chapter of the Old Testament, nowhere is there a miracle where a blind man gets his sight back. Right? And in Psalms 146, verse 8, it says that the Lord, Yahweh, the great I Am, opens the eyes of the blind. Isaiah says in chapter 35, 5, He's talking about the coming Messiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Jesus does this amazing thing, something that only God can do. And all they can see is the law. Their pride and their hardened hearts keep them from knowing who Jesus is. But this blind man who has now, he's been cast out of the synagogue. Jesus hears about this. And he goes and finds him. This is the amazing part. Jesus hears, he's been cast out, and he goes and he finds this man. In 30, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He goes from a man named Jesus. He was a man named Jesus to a prophet. But upon seeing Jesus for who he is, he knows him as Lord and he worships Jesus. Do you see the purpose of God's work in this miracle? What is the greater miracle? That the man got his sight for him knowing and worshiping the Son of God on earth, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of love, the great I am finding salvation in him. And then lastly, Jesus gives a short lesson on spiritual blindness. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. 
Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Basically, we're all born spiritually blind, every single one of us. No one is, no one is born spiritually woke. We're all born blind, and the only one that can give us our ability to see God is Jesus. The Pharisees thought that they could see God, but Jesus proved how blind they truly were. For God to open up our spiritual eyes, we must let him in. We have to be vulnerable with him. We have to allow him to touch our hearts, to touch the center of who we are. You know, that word visceral is very apt in this sense. It just it has to be this visceral connection between us and God. But we, we allow him into the, the very center of who we are. And in the mess and in the mud and in the struggle and in the pain of our lives, we seek to see his purpose. And as we obey him and we step out in faith, we will find ourselves on a process where God reveals to us more and more about himself and his will and his ultimate purpose for our lives. It all comes down to purpose and finding his purpose in those moments of our lives, in the struggle, in the mud, in the mess, in the, in the mess that, that we find ourselves in. We don't... Don't ask the question, why is this happening to me, God? Why, God? But as we connect with God in the spirit, we say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this? Because I want to I find your purpose. And I want to live out your purpose in this moment. And you guys have to understand, this is a process. This is a process. There's, there's not one thing that God's going to do and then you're going to be perfect, right? You'll be like, God, God did this in my life. I'm perfect, right? I'm flawless. No, this is a process. This is something that we do every day. No matter how old you get, no matter how mature you get, no matter how, you know, like, how, like, you know, educated or, like, how, you know, long you've been a Christian and how holy and how much of the Bible you have memorized, no matter, this doesn't matter. This is a process that we do continually in our lives. Or we're going to see a mess around us. We're going to see some kind of situation in our lives and we say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this, in this moment? And God, as you, he leads you through obedience to, to that place where he sets you on solid ground, you're going to realize and understand his purpose for your life in that moment. And, and, and it's a process. Let's keep our eyes focused on the Lord. He has opened up our blind eyes. And let's continue to invite him in. And continue to live out the purposes of his life in our lives. Let's all stand up. And let's close.